For over $35 billion, financial giant Capital One is making a bid to take over Discover. With workers slipping deeper and deeper into credit card debt, what does it mean for this industry to be even more profoundly dominated by a handful of monopoly corporations? We need a new system. We need a new society. We need to demand that which may have sounded impossible even a few weeks ago, but is not only realizable, but an imperative necessity. We are very excited to have Professor Richard Wolf join us for a regular weekly segment where we discuss the biggest stories relating to the economy, the state of the working class, and the crimes of big business. I'm Walter Smolarik, filling in for Brian Becker. The Socialist Program brings you content several days a week thanks to the support of our patrons at patreon.com slash the socialist program. We appreciate all of your support and encourage you to become a patron today if you enjoy listening to the show. Richard Wolff is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work and the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System, When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. You can check out all of his work at rdwolf.com. So, Professor Wolff, we have uh, another giant corporation purchasing, another giant corporation, Capital One, buying Discover. This, I think, points to a number of important trends under capitalism, a number of important phenomena that we experience and that impacts our everyday life. But let's just talk about credit cards to begin with here. What does this mean? Why are credit cards so important to the functioning of modern capitalism, an industry that will now apparently be dominated by an even smaller number of giant companies? Okay, that's a very, very important question and very rarely asked. So it's a real important service you're doing to your audience and beyond to put this on the table. First of all, people have to understand that before the 1970s, we didn't have credit cards as a general phenomenon. It was true that the American Express Corporation had enabled businessmen and women who traveled particularly to have such a thing, the American Express card, but it was not a generally available item. It was a huge change that required legal adjustments and a whole lot of other things in the 60s and 70s that put those cards into every average person's wallet, pocketbook, and so on. And what it did was to provide the average working class person with credit. This had never been done before. Let me, let me underscore that. Banks had lent money to businesses. They had lent money to, to stores and commercial outfits. They had lent money to industrial producers, capitalists, governments. They had lent money to very rich but to the average person, no, no. The closest you came to credit was to buy a little on time from your local merchant who might let you run up a tab a little bit. But there was no general organized mass of what we now call consumer credit. And 
it happened in the 70s for two reasons. And these are the two reasons why anything happens in a capitalist system. Number one, there were people who needed to get something. And number two, there were people who needed to profit by providing what the first group needed. You have to have those two things. If you just have the need without the profit opportunity, you don't get it. If you have the profit opportunity, but there's no need for it, well, then the profit opportunity will never mean much. So let's explain what happened. Starting in the 1970s, the United States stopped as an economic system raising the wages of American workers as fast or faster than prices went up. And what that meant, even though we've been doing it for 150 years, is that the American working class discovered, starting around the 1970s, that a rising standard of living was something they could not afford with their wages. Even if their wages went up two, three, four percent a year, so did the prices, which meant they couldn't buy any more at the end of the year with three or four percent more than they could at the beginning because everything they bought went up three or four percent more. In other words, the standard of living that had been rising in the previous 150 years of American history, which is one of the things that made the American capitalist system so unique, was that wages rose faster than prices in general, not every year, but in general, so that workers' standard of living went up. The wage increase they got, however modest, was enough to buy more things at the end of the year than they had been able to afford at the beginning. When that stopped in the 1970s, what made it worse was that no one talked about it. The economists, people like me, didn't have speeches about it. Politicians didn't talk about it. It was something done for which no explanation was given to the working class. And the working class suffered. That's when people started having two and three jobs who hadn't needed to have them before. That's when America's women, particularly white women, who had become accustomed to staying at home in large numbers, had to go out and work because the family standard of living could not keep up with the so-called American dream unless they went out because the men's wages weren't going up anymore. All right, in that situation, American working class families became desperate. They were hammered with advertisements, as we are today. This is the American dream. You want to be a successful American family? You should have your own car, maybe two or three. You should go on vacation. You should send your kid to college. You should, you should, you should. Where is the money going to come from to pay for all of this at a time when wages aren't going up anymore? Aha, that was that moment. And the banks of America understood they had the profit opportunity they would never have imagined. They could go into, quote unquote, consumer finance, consumer banking. 
they could start lending money to the average American. Why? Because the average American working class person was desperate. And by the way, they've become more desperate over the last 50 years that this has been going on. They've been borrowing more and more, borrowing more for their homes, borrowing more for their cars, borrowing more now for their credit cards, carrying a bigger balance. And then the last one that started 25 years ago in a big way, borrowing to send their kid to college. The banks are making a fortune by loaning money to the American working class, which could no other way get even close to that American dream. And like the torture of a dog, if you hold the biscuit up for the dog to jump and you keep raising the biscuit a little higher than the dog can jump and the dog tries so hard, that's what we all are here in America. Working class dogs jumping and borrowing ever more to try to get that dream which then just takes a few steps beyond us. There's a horrible cruelty in the whole structure of the credit card that destroys people's families left and right, wipes them out, is a provocation for crime on a scale we've never seen before in the United States, from stealing your credit card to abusing your credit card. People work out their personal difficulties with one another, husbands and wives, parents and children, by abusing or misusing or informing one another about their credit card. What a colossal mess. But it is a moneymaker. Why? because it's risky to lend to the consumer. The reason banks didn't lend to consumers, to working class average people, was that they were a lousy risk. It was much safer to lend to a business, to lend to a corporation. So when they did finally lend to the consumer, they sucked the consumer a big one. So for example, if you lent today to a corporation, you will lend in the neighborhood, depending on the corporation, between five and 10% by and large. But if you lend to a consumer the same money, you charge double that, 17 to 25% would be normal these days. That's what a credit card charges you. You may not notice it, it may not tell you that, but that's actually what that credit is costing you as you carry your credit balance month by month. A boondoggle for the banks. One of the reasons that banks and finance have become the most profitable and largest segment of our economy. That's why we're not a, a manufacturing economy. We don't make anything anymore in America because we move money around because there's more profit to be made hustling people around money than there is in making the goods and services that we basically rely upon. So the whole credit card business is a horrific example of what debt means. You go into debt if you're a consumer, because your wages don't enable you to buy the things you need for the life you want to lead. 
And that's a sign that a system is out of whack. And if the debts get larger and larger, which they have, and have outrun the income earning capacity of our working class, which they have, then you know we're on the edge of what we have already now experienced. The Great Recession of 2008 and 9 is when people's debts overwhelm them and they fell apart. And we're now cruising toward the next one. It is a catastrophe. Meanwhile, the banks buy each other out, like this capital versus discover that you're talking about, because it's so profitable. It's what whatever bank wants to grow and can get the money together, wants to buy the next one to gather into itself. And yeah, we already have only a handful of banks that do most of the credit cards. Citibank is a big one, Bank America. We all know them. Now there'll be even fewer monster banks that are cashing in on this declining capitalism that leans so heavily on the debts that the people who are indebted lose sleep about every day. You know, before you had the debt, you worried about your job. Now you can worry about your job and your ability to repay that debt or carry it for the rest of your life. This is a system that isn't working, and the credit card fiasco is just a part of it. Professor Wolf, that's an extremely important history. I want to pick up on, on something that you pointed out. You know, there's this double standard that exists in capitalist society around debt in terms of social cultural values, right? Because when somebody is in a lot of credit card debt, there's this sort of cultural meme even, right? Like that person is living beyond their means, right? There's this attitude that's promoted in, you know, media and popular culture that that person is is actually being irresponsible, right? And so the question of debt and indebtedness is reduced to an issue of personal responsibility. Right. But as you're laying out here, I mean, really the, the operation of the capitalist system itself, the continued profit-making of the capitalist, without which the system screeches to a halt, actually depends on people on people making that decision, on people deciding to purchase things with credit cards, you know, forcing people, putting people in a position where they feel like they have no choice but to, you know, take out massive loans to go to college. And we we saw a similar phenomenon, especially in the wake of the 2008 Great Recession, where that was essentially blamed, if you asked a lot of the business press, on you know, people who recklessly took out loans for homes they can't afford, right? Again, people wanted to live beyond their means, have a nice house that they can't really afford. And it's those irresponsible people who crash the economy. This is all nonsense, isn't it? This is a total double standard. It's hypocrisy on multiple levels, one of which because big businesses are in huge amounts of debt. I mean, for instance, when one corporation decides to buy another corporation, that typically involves the buying corporation taking out a huge, huge massive yeah. loan. But just talk about this phenomenon a little bit more. Yeah, I'd love to. Let me tell two stories to give you an idea. I've been a professor all my adult life. And at several of the universities where I've either taught or I've given visiting classes or lectures, students told me the same story, that in the campus center, usually where the cafeterias for the students are located, you know, where they take a break or have their lunch and so on, they would have to walk the gauntlet 
Before they could get into the cafeteria doorway, they would walk through the corridors of their student center and lined up on each wall on each side would be representatives of banks. Often it would be groups of students who had jobs working for a bank. And what they were doing was marketing credit cards. I kid you not, you would walk by and they would say, here, if you sign up for a credit card, here's a big chocolate bar that we'll give you as a premium. Or here's 50 bucks to start you off. We'll give you credit for 50 bucks, even though you don't put 50 bucks into your account. Or here, fill in the blank. It was an endless hustle, an endless advertisement. Let me talk from my personal life. To this day, I get utterly unsolicited. I must get five or six advertisements from banks, including Capital One, suggesting to me and offering me all kinds of prizes and premiums to take out a credit card, even though I already have one or two. In other words, it's endless. The advertising is everywhere. You will be happy if you have a credit card. You'll be able to afford all these nice things if you have a credit card. Be like everybody else, have a credit card. Look at these happy people enjoying their credit card. I mean, this is an assault of the advertising industry. It costs the banks a lot of money to do all this advertising. And you know why it pays for them to spend on the advertising, to send me these solicitations for credit cards, which literally I tear up and being worried about identity theft, I tear it up into little pieces or put it through a, a paper shredder. It's a waste of resources, of trees, of, of, of nature. of pro It's catastrophic waste, but it's profitable. Because enough workers, well, what do they want? Guess what? They want to have a decent life for themselves. They want to be able to give their children a college education. And they know what that costs. And the husband wants to give the wife a good present on the anniversary of their marriage, on the birth of their children, on their birthday. Come on. And they want to be able to do these things, but they're not getting the wages in this country that they once did that allowed them for the first hundred years to be able to buy those things. No, 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 no. Now you want this thing? We're going to dangle this standard of life in front of you. We're going to dangle this American dream in front of you. We're going to make you feel bad if you're not enjoying that American dream because we're going to make you feel that's your fault. And just you could overcome your fault in not providing yourself, your wife, your husband, your children, your grandparents with what it is you had hoped for. If you don't want to be feel blameworthy, well, just take this credit card, which we make so easily available to you. You know, most young people enter college, they're 17, 18, 19 years of age. They've had no experience managing money. You're giving them a credit card before they have any capability of managing it. You are hooking people on an addiction, and that's the whole purpose of doing it at this early. It has led some universities to their credit, pardon the double use of the word, 
it has led some universities to expel these money changers from the temples of learning, to get rid of them because they are literally abusing young people in ways that no one can understand until those people overuse their credit card two, four, six, five, ten years later and become the financial disasters that they have so often become. It is an awful growth. It's a tumor on, on our economic system. It's a sign of its decay that we make use of credit in this way to suck in. Tennessee Ernie Ford, a great singer from many years ago, had a song called The Company Store because it used to be that mining companies would cement in the workers that went down into the mines make them stay there by allowing them to buy at the company store when they didn't have enough money. So the mining company wouldn't pay them enough money to get by, but they would say, oh, but you can go to the store and we'll build up a tab. So if you ever leave your job, you'll have to pay that tab, which of course they couldn't do. So you'll have to stay at your job for which we will underpay you, but then we'll let you run up a tab and that will cement you in the job. That's what the credit card is for, to keep the American working class down and docile and no one should forget it. Professor Wolf, I, I wanna just read a couple of facts to get to the, the scale of the problem. So. The total amount of credit card debt in the United States, totaling everything up, it reached $1.08 trillion, $1 trillion and $80 billion. That's a 4.7% increase from the year before. That means that the average credit card debt amounts to $6,088. The average person who's in credit card debt, which is many, many millions of people, $6,088. I mean, a huge chunk of their annual income, probably more than you make in a month. And this is a huge burden that just stays with you, stays with you, stays with you. As you're pointing out, right, you know, it's these very high interest rates, much higher than businesses, you know, are able to access it at very high interest rates for consumer credit cards. Is it time to start thinking about debt relief for credit cards? I mean, there's a big movement out there, a very popular demand for student loan debt relief. Should we say the same thing about credit cards? Absolutely. And look, people are saying it left and right. They're declaring bankruptcy and telling people that they owe money to, including their banks. We're not paying. People are, in fact, you know, breaking away. Now, there are punishments for it. You can't get another card very quickly. You'll have to pay extra. You'll have, you'll have very bad things on your credit record, which will hurt you in a variety of ways. The banks are not nice. They're not your friend. They're not your, your, your helper. They'll come down on you like a ton of bricks if you don't pay up, just like the people who addict you to other things. So don't expect anything here if you're going to try to handle this all on your own. Remember the goal is to keep you working all your life out of fear. What will happen if I lose my job, if I move, if I take a job with doing something I love more, but that doesn't pay so well, I'll never be able to pay off my credit card debt. And so it'll accumulate at 20% per year rate and it'll get worse. It's just like on that old song. 
I sold my soul to the company store. Yeah, you sold your soul to the credit card bank. That's what's going on here. And they want you to be working for them. You're working hard to pay off that credit, which will hound you for the rest of your life. So yeah, if you're going to recalibrate, if you're going to start over, if you're going to try to bring some genuine justice to this economic system that makes some people billionaires and trillionaires soon, while the rest of us are struggling how to handle $6,000 of credit card debt on average, yeah, you're going to have to make basic changes. Not elect Tweedledum or Tweedledee, not go Republican or Democrat. We're way beyond that level of change. That's cosmetic. That changes the outer rim. That doesn't deal with the realities of a generation of students made to be under debt the rest of their lives in exchange for becoming educated. Or now all of the families suffering in countless little ways because they can't cover their credit card debt. Yeah, you want some economic justice, you're going to have to relieve all of these absurd, cancerous growths of student debt, of credit card debt, of home and automobile debt. Wow. These are debts that were imposed on a population through relentless advertising, through a torturous game of here, you want to be a successful American, this is how you should live, this is what it costs, you, Jack, don't have it, so let me, the big bank, lend it to you at an extortionate interest rate. I mean, you know, if you really face this, it makes you very, very down on what American capitalism really is. We're going to have to leave it right there. We've been very excited to be joined by Professor Richard Wolf for our regular weekly segment where we discuss the biggest stories relating to the economy, the state of the working class, and the crimes of big business. You've been listening to The Socialist Program. We bring you content several days a week thanks to the support of our patrons at patreon.com slash the socialist program. We appreciate all of your support and encourage you to become a patron today if you enjoy listening to the show. Richard Wolf is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work and the author of many books. The latest is The Sickness is the System, When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. Check out all of his work at rdwolf.com. You've been listening to The Socialist Program with Brian Becker, where we bring you news and views about the world for those who want to change it. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and watch video episodes of our in-depth show, The Real Story, every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on YouTube with our partner, Breakthrough News. We can only continue our work bringing you high-quality news, analysis, and history with the support of our listeners. Connect with us and become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program and receive an invitation to participate in an exclusive monthly seminar with Brian Becker. Thank you.